Good morning, everyone. I greet you in Jesus' name. And invite you to open your Bible to the New Testament, to uh, Galatians, and we'll look at a very familiar passage uh, in Galatians 5. Beginning at verse 16. You have read this many, many times yourself, and you've heard it read many times, and you've thought about it many times, and uh, we're going to look at it again. Galatians 5, beginning at verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, Sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So in these verses, we see uh, a life in the Spirit. In verse 16, he says, walk in the Spirit. And in verse 25, he says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we have found life, the life of the Spirit, if we have found spiritual life in Christ, then by all means, walk in the Spirit. Uh, the Greek there means by rule, would say by the rule of the Holy Spirit. Responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit is the way the Amplified Bible phrases that, so that our choices and actions and our thoughts are guided by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working in cooperation with a converted heart and a renewed mind, a mind that is being renewed day by day by day, it's become a way of life. 
But we see in this passage also a life without the Spirit, uh, describing a life without God, an unconverted, unrenewed, without God's influence, without God's power. And in this passage, we see two masters, the Spirit and the flesh. Uh, this is described in Romans also. We studied Romans back in the spring when Wayne Schrock was here. And uh, in Romans 6, verse 16, Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Two masters. And we see in this passage that, that these two masters produce very different characteristics in people. Where flesh is the master, there are the works and the characteristics of the flesh. The deeds and the thoughts and the attitudes of the flesh, motivated by the flesh. In 19 through 21. And that's not an exhaustive list. At the end of verse, there in verse 21, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Like you could make the list uh, much longer. So, where the Spirit is not resident, and where the Spirit is not guiding and empowering, the flesh is the master, the old nature, self. And the works of the flesh are the, uh, the actions and thoughts that are produced by and come from the flesh. And the result is uh, condemnation, unhappiness, and misery. It may bring short-term pleasure and satisfaction to the physical body, to the ego, but it brings a rot to the soul. And it brings uh, stress and conflict and disturbances and misery. The fruit of the Spirit, just the characteristics of the Spirit, are so different in, in what they produce and what they bring to the life of the person living and following the Spirit's guidance. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, long-suffering kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So, it's a life with the Spirit. The person is in communion with God. He is a true worshiper. His life and his body is controlled by the mind of a converted person, mastered by God's Holy Spirit. And it brings good characteristics and good character 
a good life. Not free of all stress and difficulties, but equipped uh, to handle them. This person loves God. He wants to please God. He has joy. He has peace. This passage also tells us that there are very different consequences. A harvest for these kind of lives is very different. Those who live by the flesh, those who practice such things in verse 21, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. In the next chapter, chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. In Romans 8, verse 6, For to be carnally minded, that is, following a mind that is following the flesh, self and the flesh, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And a couple of verses later in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This passage also teaches us that there's a conflict, there's a struggle between the desires and the influence and the pull of the self and flesh and God's Holy Spirit. In verse 17, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Romans 7, Paul says a similar thing in verses 18 and 19. For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to, how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Most of us understand what Paul is writing about here. I do. In these verses and in other places, we've, we've experienced that kind of struggle. And the question that we want to think about here is how do we get beyond that? How do we get so that a struggle is not so, so great? Is it possible? Now, we'll always have the unredeemed flesh to live with as long as we're here on this earth. As long as we're living here, our flesh is an avenue, is a way, is a handle to temptation. 
but Paul is teaching us that there's a way to live in the Spirit, above the flesh, in victory, and in peace. One crucial step that he mentions in this passage is in verse 24. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified the flesh. And the other crucial part is to walk in the Spirit. Like we read in verse 16, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And in verse uh, 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And this means that a crucial and deliberate choice was made. An earnest and serious decision has been made. We've taken sides. We've chosen which side we're on in this great battle. We're for one and against the other. In Philippians 2, several verses there, not, beginning at verse 9, uh, breaking into a passage, exalting the Lord Jesus. In verse 9 it says, Therefore God also has exalted Him, Jesus, and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And, and that's the place that Jesus should have in our hearts. That's the place that Jesus deserves to have in our hearts. So the two things that we need is to be to exalt Jesus and give Him the place that He deserves in our hearts, and to crucify ourselves and flesh. In Romans 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That is a sometimes called a Christian creed. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. That Jesus Christ is Lord. He is my master. That means love and devotion and loyalty and surrender to Jesus Christ. He is exalted in our hearts to the highest place. He's the Lord and Master of ourself. And that ourself is crucified. Jesus thought that 
his disciples must crucify themselves. He said in uh, verse 24 of chapter 16 of Matthew, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That is, exalting Christ and his Lordship and crucifying self. And this truth, this great truth, is presented in different ways in the Scriptures. In some passages, uh, that Paul wrote, he uh, spoke of putting off and putting on. Ephesians 4 is one of those places. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. And, and what the Gentiles do is exalt self. They exalt self, not Jesus. They reject Jesus. So that's the walk of the Gentiles, to exalt self and reject Jesus and who He is and what He would do for them. And their understanding is darkened, says in verse 18, and they're alienated from the life of God, from spiritual life, and so forth. And uh, some of them, many of them, aren't even convicted by it anymore. They're past feeling in verse 19. And have given themselves over to lewdness and working all uncleanness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, in verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Putting off. Uh, it's using terms like one would use to change clothes, putting off this old, dirty, uh, old, dirty clothing and putting on new. And he says it, uh, put off this former conduct, the old man, and put on the new man, which is created according to God. Another passage that parallel is in Colossians 3. where he says, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting, sitting on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, you died, crucified self. And... Put on, put off the old, and put on the new. Raised with Christ, and then it goes on. Will not 
We'll not read all of that, but in verse 5, he says, Therefore put to death your members which are on, earth, on the earth, and list uh, evil things, and because the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And put off all these, in verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and so on. And in verse 9, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have, in verse 10, put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, and so forth. Put on tender mercy. Verse 14, put on love, which is the bond of, bond of perfection. So another passage, putting off and putting on. Exalt Christ in His ways. Crucify the flesh. James 1.21 Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. Another way of saying give Christ the rightful place and crucify itself. Uh, Romans 13, verse 12. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, but in not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Put on Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Exalt Him. Give Him His rightful place in your heart and crucify the flesh. First Peter 2. Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, and he goes on through a list. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Different ways in the New Testament that this crucifying self and putting on Christ, walking in the Spirit, are presented. So, let's think a little bit about crucifying the flesh. In Romans, he says to reckon yourselves dead, consider yourself dead unto sin. And that, that, I believe, is describing a mindset that a Christian has, that he considers himself dead to sin. But a crucifixion, uh, uh, crucifying self is not just a mind game. Uh, there's some action. So, uh, I'd like to think about uh, some practical things here in uh, how we might crucify the flesh. 
And uh, I'll just give an example here of something that maybe you have never been bothered with this one, but it's an example. Some of us would recognize it. Jealousy. It may be jealousy over a thing, a sweater, a truck, computer. Somebody's computer, somebody got a new computer. It is way faster than mine. Uh, or just a very nice house. Being jealous about a thing. Or to be jealous about accomplishments. Somebody wrote a book. I never wrote a book. Somebody has a prestigious job, a plum position. He built a table. The interior decoration in that living room. Or a flower bed. Or a Sunday school class taught just, just exceptionally well. Or a friendship. It can be about a friendship. You know, there is a very self-centered social ladder game where uh, friends in high places are coveted uh, because of the prestige they bring, could bring me. Being friends with important people somehow makes me more important too. Or it can just be the thing of, uh, I, had a, I had a close friend, we shared things together, um, frankly and openly, we enjoyed each other, and then uh, over the course of time, a, another person kind of got in there, maybe not on purpose, like trying to do anything harmful to me, but... Uh, now I'm not a close friend. We're not friends like we were. I've lost something. I'm jealous of that. Those things aren't good. None of those kinds of jealousy are good. And there are degrees of jealousy. It can be a brief and passing pain. Or it can be a massive struggle that stings and grinds away at almost unbearably at our soul. And as a Christian, we despise it. We struggle against it. Now, there is a fleshly way to, uh, to make that jealous feeling go away. Buy a bigger truck. Now you have a bigger truck than he does. Buy a new computer. Spend money and fix your living room up. Spend more time on the next Sunday school lesson. Spend more time on whatever and accomplish more than some way exceed whatever you were jealous of. You know how that works. Um, and maybe we win that battle of keeping up with the Joneses and that jealous feeling goes away. Time goes away. Now you're the winner. You're not the winner. You lost. 
be lost to the flesh. Plus, you've got a case of selfish pride on your hands now. Well, jealousy is driven, often driven by pride, isn't it? And that's wrong. And you're still self-centered and still have a fleshly perspective. Here's what I think we should do and what I know you know we should do. We confess, Lord, I am struggling with jealousy about whatever it is. I'm jealous of this person because I know that sin. I confess it. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And we repent. Turn from that sin. Renounce that sin. I don't want that. Renew my mind, Lord, and help me to think right to have your perspective about this. And worship, exalt Christ as our Savior and Lord. Thank Him for His kind provision to me and His continuing, sanctifying, shaping work in my heart, in my life. That even that the Spirit convicted me, we should be thankful for that. It may be in the midnight hours that this is weighing on you. It may be in the middle of the day, whenever. Deal with it. And when we get to the place that God wants us to be in terms of how we feel about that sweater or that truck or that job or that living room, or that friendship, or whatever, and Christ is exalted in our hearts. Uh, jealousy is dead. The jealousy is not dead. It's crucified. And we're at peace. It's, uh, it's the fruit of the Spirit peace, too. It doesn't mean, and this is important, lest you get discouraged, it doesn't mean that that wrong feeling won't rise up again. And if it does, you already know how to deal with it. You do the same thing. You'll do the same thing again. And if you follow through earnestly and seriously and sincerely, you'll find that peace again and that jealousy is crucified and dead. And if you really struggle and are really having trouble getting through, find a mature Christian friend to pray with you. And consider this too. Um, about jealousy or any other sin. There are degrees, we said, and uh, it can be that brief pang to that very serious case uh, that really plagues us. But regardless how small it is, deal with it. I recognize it for what it is. 
uh, confess it, acknowledge it, confess it, repent of it, put it off, and put on Christ. It it helps to uh, it helps our sensitivity, and it helps to to nail that down, nail it to the cross, as it were, the crucified self, even when it's little. You know, often if with those little things, we'll forget them after a while, they'll, they'll disappear. But I think we miss an opportunity if we don't recognize it there and deal with it. And God helps us. This is not just a uh, something you'll pick up on, in a self-help book in a bookstore, and then you do it on your own. Crucifying the self for dumbness. I don't think you'll find that book in Barnes and Noble. We need God's help. We can't do it alone. We can't change a leper's spot. Second Corinthians 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So, uh, this passage is probably more directed toward uh, thinking of dealing with people opposed to Christianity, opposed to Christ, and Christ's claim on their lives. and um, But, you know, those thoughts, anything that is opposed to Christ and Christ's ways, uh, those things are in our heart too. And um, I believe this is very applicable to our personal uh, dealing with the flesh. So God will bless and strengthen us when we are serious about exalting Him and crucifying Himself. And He will bless us, and, and He will bless that spirit fruit production. And we're not crucifying sin. We're not crucifying sin through this. But it's uh, the sinful flesh that drives them that he is calling us crucified. That nature that manifests itself in sinful ways. A commentator of many years ago, I read this somewhere in the past couple of weeks, and I wish I had noted where I saw it. But he said this the best way to keep tears out of a basket is to fill it with wheat. You remember the parable of the tares and wheat that Jesus told. And he said the best way to keep tares out of a basket is to fill the basket with wheat. And so a life that is filled with the good things of God is in a much better position to resist the sinful flesh. And we become more sensitive 
to when we're not walking in the Spirit. I was reading in the Old Testament and was impressed with this from Solomon's prayer of dedication, uh, the dedication of the temple in First Kings 8. And there's a number of, uh, I don't know what you call them, kind of stanzas. And this was one uh, in First Kings 8, verse, beginning in verse 37 through 40. And he, in each of the stanzas, he's saying, uh, if judgment comes, because of sin and idolatry or whatever, and some plague or whatever comes upon Israel, if they would repent when they repent, God hear their prayer. And in this stanza, in verse, beginning at verse 37, he says, And when there is famine in the land and pestilence or blight or mildew or whatever, because of sin is the thought here. Whenever people then, whenever your people are moved to pray, whatever prayer, in verse 38, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and that. But this is what caught my attention. When each one knows the plague of his heart. The word translated plague there is used for the plague like in Egypt. For example, it's also used for stripes and beatings like in Isaiah 53, 8 as a result uh, of sin or whatever. He was stricken. And that word is used when it speaks of Jesus in uh, Isaiah. But when the people understand their own condition, their own sinfulness, and see the sin as what is causing this misery and this grief in their life and distress. And there's, there, uh, there's a grief about it. Blessed are they that mourn, I believe is what Matthew, the Beatitude, is referring to. This. We recognize the plague of our own heart, our own sinful condition. I believe it's the cry of Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I believe it's what the publican in the temple was crying as he beat his breast. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that woman weeping at the feet of Jesus, kissing his feet and anointing them with the fragrant oil. A genuine uh, sorrow for sin, a contrition. And we become more sensitive. And there's a, a more aware of our own 
flaws and shortcomings and more quickly aware when sin and self rises up and there's a greater fervor to exalt Christ and put on Christ and follow and serve Him and to crucify the flesh. So there's, there's uh, numerous scriptures that we could look at that, that describe this life. First uh, John 1, verse 7, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. I think that walking in the light, as He is in the light, is walking with the Spirit, giving Christ His place. And as uh, talked about in James, uh, about going to the mirror and seeing there, oh, that's, that doesn't line up. This fear in my heart doesn't line up with God's Spirit, with God's way, and I confess and repent. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 1 Peter 5, verse 10, But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, putting off, crucified, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people to zealous for good works. Exalting Christ, crucifying the flesh. This morning, uh, the first song that Joe led, song, song number 202, My opening eyes with rapture see. I'd like to read uh, verse 3 first. Oh, bid this trifling world retire and drive each carnal thought away. Nor let me feel one vain desire, one sinful thought through all the day. And then verse 2. 
I yield my heart to thee alone, nor would receive another guest. Eternal King, erect thy throne, and reign sole monarch in my breast. May the Lord bless you and make us fruitful.